G'day Dons fans and welcome to the round 20 edition of Don the Stat. A disappointing 41-point loss to the Western Bulldogs sees Essendon slip to 8-8 eight and eight and outside the top eight for the first time since round 10. The Sydney Swans await at Marvel Stadium this Saturday night and with some of the teams above us playing fellow top eight sides, the opportunity to stake a finals claim is well and truly still in our own hands. I'm Jonathan Walsh and I want to start with a shout out to my Don the Stat partner in crime, Ian Hume. Humi has been unwell for a couple of weeks now and was diagnosed with pneumonia earlier in the week. On behalf of myself and the Don the Stat community, I want to wish Humi a speedy recovery and best wishes. I know he's doing a lot better today than he was the last couple of days, so it's good news that he's on the mend. With Humi out of action this week, I'm joined once again by my brother, Andrew Walsh. Andrew, when we chatted this morning, I was walking the dog in four degrees and you were sitting up on the Gold Coast in a T-shirt. Things are a little bit warmer up there than here. How's things? Good evening and thanks for having me again. Yeah, things are well. Um, you had a nice sunny day on the coast. It's going to be 24 and 25 over the weekend, which would be nice for the kids' footy. So it's uh, good to be back. Hopefully a win this week would be nice. Yeah, very good. Yeah, certainly a little bit warmer than it is here at the moment. Well, um, let's crack straight, uh, straight in and, and we said the same thing last week. Let's uh, rip the Band-Aid off and have a look back at what happened on Friday night against the Bulldogs. We commented last week going into the game that the Dogs had been uh, you know, they've been winning games based on star power rather than system or or game style. And, and to me, that was very much how the game played out. The three players we identified, and, you know, you don't need to be Nostradamus to predict that they were going to be a big threat, were Bontempelli, who got the 10 coaches votes, Liberatore, who got the eight, and then Caleb Daniel, who uh, got one coaches vote. Perkins went to Bontempelli, but just couldn't go with him. You know, we, we saw a genuine superstar of the competition go to work. And if you took your, your red and black... Uh, you know, face paint off for a moment and just looked at him and watched him as a pure footballer. It was a pretty impressive display. He had 29 disposals, took 11 marks, had eight inside 50s and kicked two goals too. Libba did what Libba does best. He won 12 clearances, had 36 disposals. And Caleb Daniel, you know, he played a little bit of everywhere, but he spent a fair time, a fair bit of the time behind the footy and did really well to set up their structure both with and without the footy. We started the game well. We generated 32 mid-zone turnovers for the game and and we've spoken a lot about that part of our game this year and and the need for us to turn the ball over more up the ground. Port lead the comp in that area with 33.4 a game. So 32 in a game is a a good result for us and and 10 of those 32 came in the first quarter inside 50s was 17 to 10 and that was really built off the back of our clearance work. We won clearances 11 to 16 and contested possession 31 to 25. We didn't make the most of our opportunities. We only scored the five times from those 17 inside 50s. But I think we played the type of football that we would have been hoping for. We won the contest. We won territory. We got repeat entries. How did you see it after to after quarter time? Was it just a case of their midfielders getting to work and we weren't, we weren't able to go with them or, or did you see it differently? Yeah, it's a bit of an issue. I that Libba's a genuine superstar of the comp. I don't think he... I suppose gets the raps that you know the other guys do, especially Bonton Pally. But I think if you look at purely numbers, you know that their midfield, pure volume, were ahead of ours. You know, Liberatore thirty six, Bond twenty nine, Daniel twenty eight, Trelaw and Smith twenty five. Yeah, you know, Merritt had twenty four. Our most, you know, they even Smith getting back to a bit of form. He'd been quiet previous weeks. Even Trelaw with his burst away speed. I think just their balance. Probably got us in the end, and you know, as you spoke about, just genuine superstars. Bodnapelli is a genuine superstar, and Liberatore is probably you know the best inside mid going around. As we spoke about earlier this morning, him and Jack Viney are probably the two that you know barometers for their club, and 
they're not the prettiest players, but they just get the job done week in, week out. So, yeah, it's probably how I saw it. I think we probably got outworked a little bit um, both ways, and I think they just hurt us by foot. Yeah, I think it's a fair point. I mean, we had Merritt and Parrish as our two mainstays of our midfield and then, you know, relied on some young players in Perkins along with Hobbs and, and Caldwell to to help there. And, and you know, they had Bontempelli who's, you know, going to put himself up there uh, on Brownlow medal night, Liberatore, who's, uh, you know, one of the best clearance mids in the AFL, if if not the best, and Trelaw as, as their top three. And then they had the luxury of throwing, you know, Bailey Smith, Jack McRae and, and Caleb Daniel as their next three midfielders through their rotation, all, you know, really experienced. Well, Bailey Smith, maybe not that experienced, but um, McRae and Caleb Daniel certainly are. So, uh, you know, a, a much better Balanced midfield, as you said, not just in terms of size and, and type of midfielders, but also just experience and, and ability to play four quarters of, you know, really high intense football. Um, I guess that sort of moves on to the next point. Once the midfield got on top, you know, they were able to open up their forward line. They scored 53% of the time they went inside 50. And that's something that we've done really well this year at, at, at preventing teams from scoring despite the high number number of inside 50s we've been conceding. Up until two weeks ago, we sh- restricted our opposition to a score 46% of the time they went inside 50, and that ranked us sixth in the AFL. They moved Caleb Daniel behind the ball, and, and he really slowed down our ball movement. And not just him himself. He's obviously not a big physical presence, but he was able to make sure that uh, you know their, their defense was really well-structured and, and they had you know were able to manufacture that loose behind play. And then we just weren't prepared to take the, the game on. We we weren't prepared to really force corridor opportunities. We've been a low inside 50 team all season, but we've been able to score when we've gone in. And, and it was the opposite this week. We're, you know, we've been in the top four all year for scores per inside 50, but we scored just 30% of the time. We went inside 50. And I think inside 50s were, were break even or, or thereabouts. How much of the game or the way that we played after quarter time, do you put down to obviously heavily influenced by them winning clearance and and territory in the first place and and us having to come off our back half, but how much of that ball movement do you think was down to them? And and how much of it do you think was just down to us, you know, not being prepared to be brave like we have been at at other times this season? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the other bloke having spoken about is, is Bailey Dale. He, he really sets him up well behind the ball, uses the ball. He went at 85% on the weekend. Um, he's the other one that kind of does set him up. Well, they had 20, 49 inside 50, same as us, for 25 scoring shots. So basically every second time they went inside 50, they were hitting the scoreboard. Um, and, and as you spoke about clearances, just pure dominance. But I think the other positive out of it, out of the weekend is, you know, everyone says English is probably the premier ruckman in the AFL, but Phillips had the same amount of hit-outs. Um, but yeah, obviously we just couldn't get those pure volume of numbers around the ball and and you know use it to our advantage. So I think that's that's a big one going into this week. Yeah, I think it was the most disappointing part of of the way that we played. Uh, you know, I don't expect that uh, we were going to be able to go with their midfield all night. The, the damn ball was going to break at some point and. and Blokes like Bonson and Pally and Libba were going to get on top for periods of the game. And we were set up pretty well for parts of the game behind the ball, but then we just lost all structure. Uh, we lost all confidence and, and we just weren't prepared to take the game on. And um, yeah, it, it was a real a real shame in how we went about it. Uh, you know, we, we won't know until we see how the last five weeks of this season 
plays out. But it was very much the exception and, and not the rule of how we play this year. So I'm hoping that, you know, we can put the last two weeks behind us and, um, and, and you know, we, we get back to doing the things that we were doing well previously. I don't like making excuses or giving cop-outs, and I'm certainly not doing that in, in posing this. But we've asked a fair bit of our young midfielders over the last, you know, not just the two weeks, but the last four to six. Is there anything to the fact that we've been, you know, coming off two consecutive six-day breaks against two really experienced and hardened teams, do you think? Yeah, I think the Geelong game, we just didn't, we didn't play the ground well enough. I think that doesn't help. Plus, we played against big bodies. And I think, again, on the weekend, hardened inside, big body midfielders just got us again. Um, and, yeah, I, I don't think we're far away from the Bulldogs, especially on our day. Um, just need the things to go our way a little bit, I think, a bit more. And um, I just think it's, you know, it's another year of experience going into next year getting more games into the younger guys. They're probably a little bit further ahead in terms of development. Their midfield is a lot more mature. Their forward line's pretty young. But um, yeah, I think yeah, there's two six-day breaks with a young team doesn't help. And then uh, obviously even the travel to Geelong, I know it's, it's still a drive down there. It's the mental side of it too. And the bigger ground, like a lot of players hadn't played on it before. So I think we've got to take that into account. Um, and then, yeah, just see how we, we back up this week off a seven, no, eight-day break. So... Yeah, proof will be in the pudding, uh, won't it? Well, moving on to some better news. The, I think that the biggest news, obviously, of this week was Mason Redmond's announced his re-signing yesterday, signing on for five years till the end of 2028. He was pretty clear that Brad Scott and Craig Vosio, our CEO, had a fair bit to do with his decision to stay. And that's a big endorsement for the off-field turnaround. You know, with, with free agency now, I think, you know, we got ourselves into trouble years ago when we signed Mark McCurry to a five-year deal. It was sort of, you know, other than Alistair Lynch, who signed the, the 10-year deal for life, five-year deals were against the norm. And and we're now seeing it more and more regularly. I think five years has become the new three years. And, and in this case, it takes um, Mason past his, his uh, unrestricted free agency period. So, He's basically locked in now for for the remainder of his career, at least the best part of it. Sounds like Adelaide threw a lot of cash at him to you know get him to jump across, but you know he's he's turned that down to stay. He's he's a quality player, and, and more importantly, I think it's a big tick for the changes that have been made at the club. How do you see Mason Redman and his value? I know you're a bit like me; you, you get nervous signing halfback flankers to these to these long deals. Then they're, they're not necessarily. Uh, you know, they don't necessarily turn the dial in terms of your premiership chances, but, uh, you know, he's a player that is clearly a leader and a bit of a barometer and 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 has a big voice around the club. I think it's a massive positive, positive step in the right direction for the club. Um, you know, as it's been reported, it wouldn't have happened last year. And I just see it as it's a massive tick for the club, the way, you know, Brad and the team have, you know, turned the club around. Um, I just, I just love his hardness. He just, he's so hard at the contest. You know, he can give silly free kicks away, a bit like you know the quality players we've had back in the day, the Dean Solomon, Mark Johnson, like. But I think he's a little bit of a heart and soul type of player, and he gets, he's a bit of a barometer too. When he's up and about, brings good energy. So, positive move. Yeah, not one you want to lose in that age bracket. You don't want to be losing players when you've put years of development into him. So, yeah, absolutely positive move for the club. And, yeah, let's hope it uh, continues with other signings. Yeah, hopefully it frees him up a little bit too. I don't think he had his best game this week or, or, or 
sorry, last week or, or the week before for that matter. So hopefully now it takes a bit of pressure off him too and he can just get back to concentrating purely on playing footy and and um and you know really lift his involvement. Um the other report this week is that we've met with Ben McKay at, at North Melbourne and prepared to offer him you know, that they're all rumors at, at this time of year, aren't they? But the figures that are being floated are 600 to 650k a year. I know there's some concerns about his durability. I think he's put a lot of that behind him now, though. If he re- plays out the remainder of the year and, and, and plays the, the five games that are left to come, he will have played 56 out of a possible 67 games across the last three seasons. So, you know, I think he's showing that his body's starting now to, to hold up to the rigors of AFL football. No doubt he's had a tough time of things over the last couple of years. I think, you know, playing as a key defender in the Essendon backline last year was probably the worst place to to be, but North Melbourne over the last couple of years wouldn't have been uh, too far behind it. And, and obviously this year, it's been a, a really tough ask. And, and, you know, he's had to operate in a team that's barely won a game in, in three seasons now. So I'm prepared to, to forgive him for that. If you look back at some of his results this year, you know, he, he's had some poor moments, but, you know, <laughs> most players at North Melbourne and, and Essen for that matter have it. but he, he you know he held Tom Hawkins to two goals something that we haven't been able to do he had a very good game against us obviously he held Jesse Hogan to two goals and and Mitch Lewis kicked three but from just three marks in a in a team that um a Hawthorne side that doubled North Melbourne score so you know he's done well against those those big key forwards this year despite North Melbourne not traveling very well at all and you know I think it, the AFL average last year was about 406,000 a year, which is frightening money, but um, I, I don't think 600 to 650 is too much to ask for a 200 centimetre, 100 kilo key defender that's yet to reach the prime of his career. And the fact that he's going to cost us nothing in terms of draft capital, it helps our defensive structure. It means Laverde, you know, can play on a matchup that's more suitable to him. How do you feel about it if we do go down that path? Yeah, I reckon it's a big tick. Um, he's, you know, going into next season, he's only 26, so still young in terms of footy and games played. He's that big body that, you know, and also then, you know, as you mentioned, Laverde plays in someone, you know, more suited to his size and it allows Ridley to play his game. And uh, as we know, he can be a very damaging intercept defender and he just uses the ball so well. And then he doesn't have to play like that lockdown. He plays that third tall. So massive positive. Hopefully we don't have to give up. Well, we're not giving up anything. No draft, no draft pick. So, we, you know, we still keep our first round pick and then hopefully... We don't give him enough, too much money that uh, the you know the kangaroos end up with pick three. Be nice if they got end the first round draft pick for him. So, yeah, I think a positive. You know, we haven't had one of those big defenders. You know, for a while. You know, we lost Hurley and Hooker in successive years. So, yeah, massive tick and positive. I think for the club, and hopefully we can get his brother. It'd be nice too. Get him playing <laughs> together. They both they pull both us and supporters as kids. Yeah, I think if we do get Ben, that. The Harry one's going to get talked about a lot. We'll, uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. But the flow-on effect to that might be that that Zerk Thatcher, a player who I really like, I think he's improved his game a hell of a lot over the course of the last you know eighteen months to two years. He, he seems to be getting better every week. He's brave. He, he's prepared to throw his body around. He, he at times gets a hand in when you think he don't. He's getting better at reading the play and, and taking front position on his on his opponent, but he might read the tea leaves if we do sign McKay and think that, um, uh, you know, with with Reed and Hayes also on the list and, and Laverde and, and Ridley there that perhaps he gets squeezed out. And, you know, Port Adelaide is said to be really keen on him. The Crows will enter 
2024 without two of their key defenders. Tom Duda did a, an, an ACL a few weeks ago and, and Nick Murray's now done one as well. So, you know, they might also enter the market for a key position defender. He's a South Australian native, so he might get an opportunity to, to get an offer at increased cash and, and the chance to go home and, and, you know, secure his future with a three or four year deal. I hope he stays, but he might be attracted by the opportunity to go home. And if we do land McKay, it, uh, you know, speaking from a, a pure business perspective, there might not be a better time to to cash in and 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 get some real good value for for someone like Zerk Thatcher and 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 use that capital to to do something else with. How do you see that one? Yeah, similar to we don't want to lose you know a defender going into his prime. He's only twenty four. We put the years of development into him, but that's that draft capital that we potentially could cash in. You know, there's teams like the Gold Coast that. They need points. So they, you know, if we get a very answer argument, so we get a second round pick for him, we could potentially then upgrade that with picks with them. Um, you don't want to lose him, but also we have got a bit of depth if we can get the, you know, Reed back on the park and Haynes and, and whatnot. So yeah, it, you wouldn't want him to go, but um, if we can get, you know, a pick in the, you know, in the twenties, around that twenties for him, I think it's a pretty good win for the club. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that plays out and, and no doubt. Once we get through the season, uh, there'll be just going to be lots and lots of more of these discussions. Let's uh, talk about one more, and and that's uh, Darcy Parish with Redmond locked away. All the attention now, uh, you know, turns to him, and and uh, it sounds like you know we're we're at the pointy end of re-signing him, which is great news. But I, I think there's been a lot of unfortunate talk from our fan base about Darcy, and, and that we should let him go, or that we might be better off without him, and uh, or that you know our our midfield has too many of the same types. And I just want to have a, a quick look at some of his numbers as a starting point. So just to go through those, he's number one in the AFL for average center clearances a game. He's sixth in the AFL for average stoppage clearances a game, and third for total clearances per game. Fifth for contested possessions, and fourth for inside fifties. So, you know, what he's exceptional at is winning the footy and and getting the ball forward for us. And then there's, you know, some knocks around his disposal, the fact that he doesn't use the ball really well and, and that he doesn't move the ball forward. And, and no doubt that he lets himself down by foot at times, but most contested midfielders are the same. I think, you know, Lockie Neal's probably the exception to the rule there where he, he kicks the ball at, you know, 70 plus percent efficiency. Most of them are in the 50s and, and Darcy Parrish fits in that category. There's 117 players in the AFL averaging 20 or more disposals per game this season. Of those, 89 turn the ball over more frequently as a percentage of their disposals than Darcy Parrish does. So, uh, and, you know, 13 of those 27 who perform better uh, are midfielders. The rest of them are predominantly halfbacks. So when you compare him against his peers, the other clearance centre bounce midfielders, you know, he, his disposal, his turnover rate and his kicking efficiency all stacks up. He's top 25 in the AFL for metres gained and inside the top 10 for centre bounce midfielders for metres gained. So, uh, you know, again, when you compare him to to his his peers he's, uh, and those that are playing the same role and same position, he's, he's right up there for metres gained. So I think we can put to bed the, uh, the fact that he doesn't take territory and move the ball forward because, you know, everything that I've seen this year and, and his numbers certainly support the fact that he does. And then in terms of his, uh, you know, what happens when he does get the ball, he's, he's the 15th ranked midfielder for score involvements and 16th for score launches. So, you know, we're, we're retaining the ball when he gets it uh, and and we're scoring pretty frequently when he does. So, uh, you know, again, it, it supports the fact that his disposal, you know, 
bar some pretty horrendous turnovers from time to time is, you know, is largely pretty good. And then the other knock on him is that he doesn't defend, which, you know, I think is built off a perception of how we played last season. And I just don't think it's the case anymore. Like a lot of our players, you know, he has moments where he can do better and, and where he needs to do better. But I do think that's the exception and not the rule. He's the eighth, eighth ranked midfielder in the AFL for defensive half pressure acts and the 16th ranked midfielder in the AFL for rebound 50. So, you know, and, and of those three of them, or only three of them are spending decent periods of a game as a centre-bounce midfielder. They're mostly wingers who, you know, get back. So, you know, the fact that he's the um, fourth in the AFL for average inside 50s and then he's the uh, 16th-ranked midfielder for rebound 50s, he's absolutely working both ways. He's winning the ball in, in all parts of the ground. And, you know, he's not the perfect footballer and, and very few are, but he's an absolute elite clearance mid and and. He, as part of a midfield unit, he makes us a much, much better football team. And I just want to touch on that midfield unit for a moment because I think there's something in the discussion that's been missing. And our starting midfield group at the start of this season was Draper with Parrish, Merritt, Setterfield and Sheila as our four midfielders. And, and you know, Ian and I that on this show were a little bit frustrated early doors that we weren't really using uh, you know, likes guys like Caldwell and, and Perkins through the midfield. But, but we ran with those four as our prime midfielders. When those five, with with Draper included, have played this season, we've averaged 95.75 points a game for and 87 points against. We averaged 53.5 inside 50s a game. We were plus 0.62 in centre clearance differential, minus 1.25 in stoppage clearance differential, minus 1.3 in contested possession differential, and plus four for uncontested possession differential. When Setterfield, Shield, and Draper have all been out, those numbers drop alarmingly. We we drop from fifty one, sorry, from ninety five points four to fifty one points four, and we increase from eighty seven points against to one hundred and one points against. That's a fifty seven point turnaround. Inside fifties drop to thirty nine a game, so we're down fourteen point five. Center clearance differential drops to one point six. Stoppages differential drops to six point six, negative six point six. We're minus 20 in contested ball and minus four in, in uncontested ball. So I don't think we have a Darcy Parish problem. Darcy Parish coming back hasn't made us worse. What's been worse is the fact that we've replaced Draper, Sitterfield and Shield with you know, Brian and Phillips, Hobbs, Caldwell and Perkins. And these guys are, are young. They're exciting. They've got bright futures. And, and our future as a club, I think, is bright because of them. But I think we have to realise that if we keep Parish. We don't become. Uh, we need to keep Parish because he's very good at what we what he does. But we become a, med- a better midfield when the likes of Hobbs and Caldwell and Perkins can replace the output that we're getting from Shield and, and to a lesser extent Setterfield, and, and they're just not at that level yet. Um, uh, you know, Andrew, you often see things a little bit differently to me. So keen to to get your thoughts on Darcy Parish and his value to Essendon, not just now but going forward. Yeah, I, I believe you he's a 26-year-old midfielder. He's played 145 games. It's um, you can't really replace that by going to the draft. Um, he's ready-made. He's a mature body. He averages 24 disposals over his career. And you got to think his first three or four years he played majority as a forward. So those numbers are, are pretty good. And he's elite in a lot of categories across this season. He's averaging 31 disposals, and I still think he's got massive upside. Um, you know. Fans get disappointed by his, you know, his kicking and his turnover. But you, you got to remember, 
three quarters of the time, he's got the ball, he's under pressure. He's getting tackled from behind, front on, side on. Um, and I also think the upside with him is he can push forward more because he can mark. He's a really good overhead mark, which some midfielders aren't. Um, I think that's probably the next you know, next thing in his game, pushing forward more, hitting the scoreboard a bit more because I think that could be um, – yeah, a massive weapon for us once, you know, the, the kids that you've spoken about, Caldwell, Hobbs, Perkins are playing more in midfield time. You know, he could rotate forward, you know, if he's getting tagged, push forward. Um, I just think it gives us more even spread across the ground. You know, he can usually playing forward midfield, uh, forward stoppages. You, you know, you've got one of your best midfielders down there ready to go. So um, massive upside. Don't want him to leave. Um, clearly he's a leader. Um, and I still think he's just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I think at the moment where we're asking a lot of him without, you know, those more senior and, and experienced bodies there. And, you know, it wasn't until 2021 that he jumped out and became an All-Australian. Uh, you know, he that was his sixth season in the system. And, uh, you know, next year, Caldwell, I think, will go into what, season five? Um Hobbs will go into season three, Perkins into season four. So, you know, they're still a little bit away from where... Darcy was when, um, you know, when he was, uh, uh, you know, when he, you know, started to really hit his straps and, and become a consistent AFL midfielder and, and perform at a really high level. So, uh, yeah, and, you know, in, in an ideal world, I actually think we see his rebound 50 numbers come down uh, because we're we're not as reliant on our, our midfielders getting back and having to push as deep as they are at the moment to to get involved in, in those you know, chains to, to get the ball out. Uh, hopefully we can become a better contested side and, and and we're not relying on that as as much. But yeah, he's a, he's a must keep for me. I hope we we sign him to a similar length deal as we have with uh, with Mason Redman and, and we can just get back to enjoying him for, for what he's really good at. And, uh, you know, for those that are unsure, just please go and, and, and just watch his work around the contest and what he's able to do when the ball's on the ground because, uh, and and his ability to, to read the opposition Ruckman and, and Shark uh, opposition hit outs because he's, he's really, really good at it. And I think we just need to appreciate him for what he's good at and and forgive his limitations because in a team that becomes more developed and more balanced as time and more experienced as time goes on, we'll have the mix that's able to to work in and around that. And, and you, you, know, you know, there are times where we need guys to step up and be more physical because Zach Merritt's, you know, getting beaten around and, and we expect, you know, our the likes of Draper and Setterfield to, to help out in that area. Uh, you know, as that midfield gets more rounded and more experienced, we'll we'll have the coverage for Darcy Parrish and his limitations too, and, and we'll just become a better footy team because he can just go and worry about winning contested ball and winning clearance. Um, that's it for my Darcy Parrish rant. Let's um let's have a look at the Swans and and move on to this week. The Swans, uh, you know, built on a on a really strong twenty twenty one. Uh, by winning 16 games in 2022 to to finish the season in third position. They beat Melbourne in the qualifying final before uh, getting ahead of the Pies by a point in the prelim to to make the grand final, which was their first since 2016. However, you know, that that's where the fairy tale ended. For the Swans, you know, they were a bit of a surprise to to get as far as they did. They had a really good season, but were, were absolutely demolished by the Cats on grand final day by the tune of 81 points. Like a lot of teams that have come off the back of a, a smashing in the grand final. The Swans have struggled to capture their form of last year. They're currently sitting at eight wins and nine losses 
and a draw and currently in 12th position, one behind Essendon on the ladder. They do have a healthy percentage of 111.8, which is the eighth best in the competition. They've only beaten the three teams above them on the ladder this season, Richmond in round five, Carlton in round 11, and the Bulldogs in round 18. And then they also have that draw to the Cats at the SCG in round 16. They've had a few list changes in the offseason, but they didn't lose much in terms of the, the guys that, that played big minutes in 2022. 96% of their list minutes from 2022 have remained on their list for this year. They made the one trade, uh, obviously one familiar to us with Aaron Francis transferring across. He's played 11 games um, and benefit, I guess, a, a little bit to the absences of the McCartan brothers, but um, he was subbed out in round 17 and hasn't played since. None of their six draft or rookie selections have made their debut this year. So, you know, they've largely gone with the the guys who got the job done for them last year. Some of the big names that went off their list at the end of last year, albeit didn't play much of a role in 2022, Josh Kennedy uh, retired. He played 11 games last year, but was sub in a number of those. Callum Sinclair didn't play a game last year. He's come and gone. And Colin O'Reilly played five games and retired while there were five D listings. Ben Ronke played eight games last year um, and he was the only one who who participated in the seniors in 2022. This season, they've had the one game at Marvel, a three-point win, which was the interchange infringement against North Melbourne, which I I remember uh, messaging you, Andrew, and and that did make us both giggle uh, quite hysterically. Uh, We do tend to like seeing North Melbourne lose. Uh, They've won seven of their last 10 matches at Marvel, though. That said, four of those were against North Melbourne and one against the Gold Coast in the COVID-affected year in 2021. And they've only played Essendon twice at the Docklands in the last 10 years. They won in 2024 and, and we were able to win in 2018. I think one of their strengths in 2022 was their stoppage clearance work. They were ranked fourth with a differential of plus 2.3. This has dropped away in 2023. They now rank 17th with a differential of minus 2.7. The centre clearance differential has remained similar, minus 1.4 last year to minus 1 this year. The contested possession numbers have dropped away as well, going from plus 1.4 last year to minus 2.3 this year. And it's a bigger differentiator in their wins compared to their losses. In games they've won this year, they've been plus 7.75 for contested possession. And in their losses, they've been minus 17.4. So there's a clear trend there that that if they're not winning contested ball, then, then they're not winning games. One area that has improved is their intercepting game. They've doubled their intercept differential from 0.08 to plus 1.6 per game. And again, it's part of their game that flourishes in their wins where they're plus 7.6 a game, but it falls away in their losses to minus 3.6 differential a game. And finally, they've they've remained a, a high-ranking tackling side this year. It's, it's been a, a you know part of the Swans' DNA for over and a day. They were ranked third last year and, and fifth this year. If we just have a quick look at last week, they had a pretty comfortable trip to the West uh, against the Dockers. The, you know They got out to a 20-point lead halfway through the first quarter and, and it never got any closer to that. Swans ran out 16-9, 105-point winners to Fremantle, 12, point, 12 goals for 76. Most of the stats were even. You know, the Swans were just a lot more efficient going inside the forward 50. They they scored 57.8% of the time they went inside 50 compared to Fremantle at just 34%, even though Frio had five more entries. Will Haywood and Buddy Franklin both kicked three goals for the Swans and, and Luke Parker led the way with 31 disposals. Uh, Andrew, I'm going to take a breath because that was a long couple of paragraphs. Um, you, you've watched a fair bit of the Swans this year. Who stood out for you? 
Yeah, they're interesting teams, Swans. They are they are quite young. They've got a lot of young talent similar to us coming through. Um, yeah, I, there's a three left footers that I that I like to watch from them. It's Blakey, Campbell, and Gordon. I think all elite in their in their own ways. Um, obviously, still young. Um, they're just different sizes, play different positions. Um, I think Luke Parker's coming back to some of his best form too. Um, he's that mature big body. It's similar to Parrish, I suppose. His numbers have been pretty good the last month for them. And then they've got some good tolls at both ends. Um, yeah, I think Logan McDonald's an, an exciting player for the future. I think he's averaging just under two goals a game. You know, in his, I think he's his second year. So it's pretty, pretty good numbers for a young kid. Um, and then even just you look at some of the numbers for those for those guys, you know, the meters gained, especially on the small ground, like the SCG, they're, they're pretty amazing. Um, but I think they they have got some holes in their team, um, like all teams. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's it's going to be pretty pretty evenly fought out match. I think this week it'll be I think it'll be the uh, young talent going head to head, and it'll be exciting to watch. Yeah, I think there's some young players on both sides that hold the key. It, I think we probably saw what happened to the Swans last year and expected because of their, you know, relative relative youth and inexperience, they would have just naturally taken a, another step this year and improved. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Interestingly, it was one of their more experienced teams they put out this season. Last week, they average age of 26 and, and 123 games per player. So, uh, you know, that they have got, uh, you know, some of their more experienced Flies back, I guess, having Buddy Franklin in that team, though, probably pulls the uh, a lot of them up with him. Just having a quick look back to the last time we played the Swans, it was back in round 16 of 2022. It's in 15-5, 95, defeated Sydney 12-14, 86. That was a game played at the MCG and, and was probably our best win of the season. Not that there were many to, to choose from, but given what happened early in the year up at the SCG where we were really embarrassed, I think, to to bounce back. And, and I think it was the last game that the Swans lost prior to the grand final. The, the margin seesawed throughout the day until Essendon kicked five of the last six goals to run out nine-point winners. We, we were able to control the footy. We, we had 82 more disposals and 19 more marks for the game. The, the Swans won contested possessions by eight and clearances by eight. And although we were down on... Uh, 10 intercepts, um, it it really – and sorry, the Swans were up by 10 intercepts. We we were down 10. It, it, it really did help the Swans stay in the game. It, it was one of the few times in 2022 where I felt we made some changes to our setup to counteract the opposition. Parrish played a bit more of a defensive role through the midfield on Mills and just kept him away from from clearance. And, and Merritt went forward at times to break up the tag from Rowbottom and, and – kicked goals. Merritt finished uh, with 24 disposals and three goals. Wright and Stringer both kicked two. And, and then for the Swans, Chad Warner kicked 25 goal, uh, twenty-five disposals, sorry, and kicked three goals. He he kicked those two, uh, uh, you know, really classy goals from, from stoppages, um, you know, sort of, if you didn't uh, appreciate how skilled someone like Chad Warner is, you, you'd probably call them flukes. But uh, yeah, he, he played a really, really good game and, and showed what he was capable of. And Reed Heaney and Franklin kicked two goals each. It was a game that actually for me, I, I went away from it, you know, feeling some real confidence that we had, you know, more quality on our list than maybe we realized, you know, we were better than our performances throughout the year have, have shown. I know the Swans didn't kick accurately that day. They kicked 12 goals, 14, and, and we had our kicking boots on and kicked 15, five, but I think our, uh, just 
the fact that we were able to adjust some things and take it up to a team that was having a really good season gave me a little bit of confidence that that maybe it wasn't all doom and gloom at Essendon. Do you remember much of the game? Yeah, I do remember a little bit. So I think, yeah, as you said, the, the positive was that, you know, they went in playing the grand final last year. So beating them, you know, seven weeks, eight weeks out from the grand finals, a pretty good result for a, for a young team. Um, and as it said, just, it just shows you throw things up and different ideas, you know, merit moving forward. Just, the, you know, not playing, you, you know, your one wood all the time, you know, having plan B, C and D. Um, as I mentioned about Parish before, moving, pushing forward, I think if we... If we can get more of that happening, I think we're going to be a more balanced team and it also makes it harder to plan against because, we, you know, clubs aren't going to know what we're going to do week to week. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. We've got a bit of a uh, very dangerous forward line, so we can see how we, uh, we track that this week. Yeah, well, let's move on to this week. So, start with selection. Uh, just the one in for us this week, Jai Menzi comes into the 22 and Nick Hind also... He was the the sub last week. He retains his spot in the in the twenty two. So, two changes to the starting twenty two as it stands at the moment. Jake Stringer and Jordan Ridley are out, both injured. The four emergencies are Elijah Sardis, Kane Baldwin, Alwyn Davy Jr., and Anthony McDonald, Tip and Woody. I'm really pleased that Menzies come back. I was you know like a a lot of Essen fans a little bit frustrated that he was left out last week. I thought we really missed him. He's been having a really good season. Hopefully, it was just a freshen up and and that was the plan all along and. He can come back and have an impact. Um, you know, Hind was, you know, went on a couple of runs last week in the last quarter and 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 gave us some legs that we were just sorely lacking for most of the game. So you know, he'll he'll give us something there as well that that we missed last week. Interesting that as it stands, and and if there's no late change, there's no direct replacement for Ridley. It probably suggests Cox will go back, given the Swans have three tall forwards in McDonald, Franklin and Amadi, albeit Amadi will be their second ruck, and, and it probably leaves Hind to play a combination of wing and half forward. So uh, if we assume there's no late change, Davey and, or Waller probably become the sub. How do you see it? Yeah, you probably out of those names, you'd probably say Davey. Gives us um, a bit more impact on, you know, play wing in inside mid if required and forward. Um, yeah, losing Ridley's a massive out, as he was brilliant last week before he went off, um, just the way he reads the ball and his stability to hit targets. So that's going to be sorely missed, yeah. As, as you suggested, I think Cox is going to have to play back this week. And the other interesting one is whether we where Hind plays. I thought he gave us some real value forward um, just with his genuine speed. And, you know, we haven't got a lot of speed up there. Um, so it'd be interesting to see where he does play this week, whether he does go back to half back or he plays half forward again, because I think he's he can be quite damaging pushing up and then getting back. That's why I like, you know, Davey in the team a bit more, a bit more speed. Um down forward. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what see what happens there. Yeah, I guess unless uh you know, we're prepared to play Kelly as a tall on Amadi, for example, when he's playing forward, leaving uh, Laverde and BZT to take McDonald and Franklin, then uh, and Cox stays forward. Then uh, that's probably the only way that that Hind can squeeze into the the half back line. Uh, so I imagine it's either the Hind or Cox play back, uh, and you know either Cox or Kelly therefore play that third tall role. Uh, onto the Swans, they're unchanged. Last week's sub Ryan Clark uh, joins Aaron Francis, Jack Buller, and Dylan Stevens as the emergencies. Aaron Francis, we obviously know. Jack Buller is a 199-centimetre key forward. He was their selection in this year's mid-season draft and, and hasn't uh, debuted yet. 
So they've got some key position cover there. I, I wonder whether there may be a question mark over one or two of their tools. But uh, if there's not a change, I, I would think Clark or Stevens would be the sub. Uh, again, you know, do you see it that way as well? Yeah, I'd say so. I think Clark's probably a perfect sub, isn't he? That mature body. You know, he's been playing more defensive roles. Um, it was a little bit of a surprise. I thought he potentially might have played on on Zach or, or Darcy. Um, but, yeah, I, you would say it would probably be his – I think he's been the sub a few times this year, so I think it would be him. Yeah, I think so too. Well, let's dig into what we need to do this Saturday night. It, it's been a little bit of boom or bust for the Swans this year. They averaged – 79.9 points a game against them. So, you know, scores conceded, which ranks them eighth in the AFL. So, that you know, they're, they're performing, they're defensively holding up pretty well, but they've conceded over 100 points four times this season. Two of those were over 130 points, and it's already one more than they did uh, for the 2022 home and away season. So they only conceded 100 points three times last year. So they've had some games where they've really leaked scores. Over the course of the whole season, they've averaged 44 points against from turnover. So, you know, where they've turned the ball over and the opposition's been able to score, and then they score 53 points themselves. For for contra- contrast, where 50 points for and 49 points against. They don't score heavily from stoppages. They score 20.8 points a game for and, and 22.1 points against. And then center bounce scores are 12.74 and 11.1 against. So, Turnover is where they're, you know, getting some ascendancy on their opposition. Stoppages is a, a stoppage scores is an area we've been really exposed to in the last few weeks. We, we're scoring fifteen point six points a game and conceding twenty three point three over the course of the season. And in fact, since Setterfield has has been out, we've only won stoppage scores twice against Richmond and against West Coast. So you know how the Swans have performed in this area suggests that we should expect to break even and and perhaps not have. Uh, you know, famous last words, and I'll touch wood again, but but perhaps not have the concerns that we did against Geelong and and the Bulldogs in that part of the ground. If we just skip back to the games where the Swans have conceded 100 points or more this year, they've conceded 82 points from turnovers against Melbourne, and 57 of those were from forward half turnovers. So where the Swans have turned the ball over in their own back half, and and Melbourne were able to then go forward and score. Nine goals in that game, the Swans turned the ball over in their back 50. So, uh, yeah, it's a pretty uh, strong indicator of the way to get them. 73 points from turnovers against Geelong in round six. 53 points of those came from turnovers in the Swans' back half. Then it was 57 points against the Giants from turnover, 37 of those in the Swans' back half and 63 points against Fremantle from turnover, although in that game it's a bit more of a spread from uh, all over the ground. It was 25 points from the Swans back half, the rest from from obviously their forward half. And then if we skip back to that Swans last loss against Richmond in round 17, it was 44 points from turnover in a total score of 88. It, so Richmond scored 88 points to the game, 44 points of those from turnover and 30 points from forward half turnover. So I think everything suggests that if we can play a forward half game, if, if we can break even a clearance and, and break even a, a contested ball and, and get the and get the ball in our forward half, then we should be able to put the Swans under enough pressure to score. Menzi back in the team helps, but how do you think, Andrew, we can get a lift in that part of the game? Yeah, as we mentioned before, um, you know, speed in our forward line. So I'd like Hines to, to probably start there again, as he did when he come on as sub last week. I think if 
So we've got him him down there with Menzi tackling pressure. Um, you know, our backs can sit up behind the ball. And I think, as you mentioned, if we can win the ball at the contest, get the game on our terms, it helps a lot of that, doesn't it, at the end of the day. I think um, our mids will be pretty dirty after last week. So let's hope that, you know, they roll the sleeves up, crack in, um, and I think we will see a better performance than we saw last week. Yeah, I think the other move I'd, I'd like to see this week, and, and although I've been really big on him getting midfield time, I, I think we probably overcooked it a little bit the last couple of weeks and, and given him too much uh, midfield time is, is Archie Perkins to get back into that half-forward role because what he does really well is he he gets in the corridor and he demands the ball. So we really struggled to get the ball forward of centre last week because we we really lacked that target uh, inside Um inside the corridor and, and and Archie does that well. The other thing that he, he'll do better than, uh, you know, some of our other guys we've been playing forward, you know, high forward recently in, in the likes of Snelling and Guelphie is he will get up the ground and also help us get the ball into the corridor with his own foot skills. So I think he just gives us another outlet, uh, you know, uh, either getting higher up the ground and, and being a target there and getting into the corridor or demanding the ball in the corridor himself. The other thing that he he does do is he because he's dangerous with the ball. Opponents don't drop off him; uh, they they know what he's capable of. So he will draw a bit of a crowd and, and draw some attention, and that will open things up for the likes of Peter Wright and, and Kyle Langford as well. So uh, I think that's the other the movie. He's not necessarily someone who's going to help with pressure, but I think structurally, him uh, moving forward, I think will will uh, yeah benefit us this week. Let's have a look at some of the key matchups. Uh, I think. Nick Blakey, you've touched on him already. He's a really interesting one. It, it, you know, he's 195 centimetres, but he, he doesn't play as a key position defender. He plays as a, essentially a, a tall halfback flanker. He's averaging 21 disposals a game. He's had the second most bounces in the AFL this year. So, he, you know, he really runs and carries the ball. He's their number one interceptor, ranked 15th in the AFL for total intercepts and averaging 6.8 per game. And he's taken twice as many intercept marks as any other Swans player this season. We got it really, really wrong for lots of reasons with Tom Stewart against the Cats. What do you learn? What do we learn from that? That and and how would you approach Nick Blakey if you were you know sitting there with the whiteboard this week? He's an interesting player, isn't he? Um, you know, he's elite by foot. He goes eighty percent, and he's elite intercept marker, um, and he's a high meters game player. So he's you know as he said, he's one ninety five, but doesn't play like that. Um, there's a few options, whether you play Matt Wolfe as a defensive, defensive forward on him or Langford who will, you know, determine, you know, a bit more um, watching, I suppose, from Blakey can't drop off as much and then we can kind of hopefully then play through Langford, similar to what we did Anzac Day with, with Darcy Moore. I think that might be potentially be not a bad matchup and Langford's also got the size and the height and the body. Um but, yeah, he's very damaging, can hurt you by foot, run and bounce, um, and leak kick. Yeah, the, the one that I like for him actually is is Archie Perkins. I already touched on, on moving him back to the forward line. Um, uh, Archie and and also Jai Caldwell did a really good job. If we think back to, to round one, we're going back a long way now. But though, those were the two that... Uh, and and actually, Nick Martin was was the third one who played a, a fair bit of time as, as a half forward in that game. But they sort of, uh, you know, we we just let James Sicily go to whoever he wanted to. But it was one of those three for most of the game. And and Perkins was the one that really got hold of him. And, and from memory, kicked three goals. But 
but really demanded the footy up the corridor. And, and then when Caldwell was on him, he did something pretty similar, just got off him. And uh, I think you, you need to have someone who's really good with the ball on him. And, and for me, that that's not wealthy because I think if – you run the risk there of of him just dropping off and doing whatever he wants. He he won't pay any respect respect to to Matt Guelphie, but I, I think someone like uh you know Perkins or or Martin if he does play forward, but but I think um I'd prefer to see him on the wing this week. Or even Caldwell, because of his ability to hit targets when he goes inside fifty, I think he's just gonna ask some questions of Nick Blakey on on how much league rope he's prepared to give those kind of players. So yeah, I, I I agree with you that uh, we need to to put some time into him. But I think for me, it, it's Perkins over Guelphie, uh, just because he's going to be more dangerous with the footy going forward. Uh, Errol Goulden, uh, he's looking like he's a, a lock for the wing position in the All-Australian team or, or one of them until the, the AFL All-Australian selectors decide to to pick 22 contested midfielders. The he's the second in the AFL for inside fifties. He's third for kicks and and meters gained per game. He's averaging twenty five point six disposals and kicked fifteen goals in eighteen games this season. The last two weeks he's been used more as a midfielder. He's attended seventy seven. He he did attend sorry seventy seven percent of centre bounces last week. If he moves back to the wing, uh, we saw Fremantle put in a, a really attacking player in Liam Henry on Nick Martin and. And it was a little bit of Russian roulette, and, and Liam Henry was able to do a whole lot of damage. Do you think the Swans might go that way with with Gordon and, and move him back to a wing this week and, and try and expose our wingers and, and someone like Mick Martin and, and Nick Martin? If that does happen, do we get Durham to pick him up in transition post centre bounce, or do we just back Nick Martin in to learn from it and, and have a better game than he did against Liam Henry? Yeah, he's a very dangerous player. He's averaging near 28 the last month, so he does get his hands on the ball a lot. Um, and then he also does hurt you on the scoreboard. Um, yeah, I, I think his best position is wing. Um, and I, I would run Nick Martin with him because, as, as we know, Nick Martin, his best, is ugly in All-Australian win-win too. Um, so, yeah, I, I would be playing Nick Martin, go head-to-head, learn. But also, you know, when we've got the ball, make those right decisions to, you know, to push forward. Because, as we know, Nick Martin can... You know, he can hurt the team going the other way. He, you know, he's a high metres game player, can hit the scoreboard. Um, yeah, but Gordon's numbers, are, you know, he's, he's elite, isn't he, really? Um, he's kicking. Can break games open. Um, even on the small ground, the SCG, I've seen him, you know, break some games open. But, he, he, like, even his, his kicking efficiency isn't high. Like, I think we, we kind of get worried about, you know, left footers and they, they do look nice. But um, he goes at 58%. Like his disposal efficiency is quite high. He's quite elite by by hand, but um, he can be damaging by foot, but he also can turn it over. So he gives you an opportunity. Um, so yeah, that, yeah, he's an interesting one to watch. But yeah, he's a nice player. Um, I'd love him in our team. Um, an academy player. They did pretty well that year with, with him and Campbell. Yeah, yeah, they certainly did, didn't they? Uh, he's... Um... He's a little bit of a, and I don't mean this as a as an offensive comment, but he's a little bit of a poor man, Zach Merritt, isn't he? In that he's he's very very good kicks, at very very good, and, and can be really dangerous. But he's he's also really capable of shanking them and turning the ball over in dangerous positions as well. You know, something that Zach, you know, is obviously doing less and less of. But uh, yeah, you're spot on there. The other thing too is he's 
you know, Nick Martin's 190 centimetres plus. Uh, Goulden's only 175 centimetres. So I think it's a really good opportunity just to, if it does play out that way, to to say to Martin to, you know, learn from last time, uh, go and be better because of it. He sounds like the kind of player who who does, you know, love a challenge and, and responds really well to it. And, and I'm sure will respond really well to this one. And and if he can drag him forward, then he's going to have some size and, and reach on him that, that Goulden's not going to be able to go with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. If it if we see Goulden and, and Nick Martin line up on the wing, then, uh, yeah, let, let's back our guy to to beat their guy. And, and you know, that could be a, a really good contest for the next, you know, 10 years, couldn't it? it it's going to be one that's going to... Uh, yeah, really uh, drag a lot of people through the turnstiles. I think they're, they're both, you know, really exciting young wingmen. Uh, onto the onto their midfield uh, or, or their centre bounce midfielders, Luke Parker, you know, he's the one that, that got away. I think you were on the draft table that night. We we opted for Ariel Steinberg instead. Uh, he's, he's carried a huge load this season. Uh, he hasn't had a game where he's attended less than 71% of their centre bounces. He averages 79% across the season. In the last three weeks, he's gone 89%, 80%, and 81%, which, you know, for a player who's, you know, been a bit of a battering ram over his career, has, has been in the game for a long time. He's he's carrying a huge burden. We, we spoke, or I spoke earlier about the responsibility that Darcy Parrish is trying to carry in our midfield. Well, Luke Park is doing that for them. He averages 6.1 clearances a game, which is ranked 14th in the AFL. Row bottom is 35th, Chad Warner 42nd, and Goulden a 57th. They're their next four. So, you know, it, it, again, he's carrying a huge responsibility there to be able to win clearances for them. He's their number one contested possession player. Do we send someone to him, and and if so, who, or or are we better off putting time into someone like Warner or Golden if he if he does end up in the midfield who are much more damaging with the ball? It's an interesting one, and that uh, that draft night still gives me nightmares. But um, we move on. Everyone's had bad selections. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like, even Chad Warner's missed a bit of footy. I think he missed three or four weeks with the calf. He's just come back last week. Mills is the other one who's missed a fair bit of footy through their midfield. Um, I know you've spoken about Perkins playing potentially on Blakey. I would like Perkins to go head-to-head with Warner. Um, one, I see him as, you know, similar type of players, highly skilled, hit the scoreboard, meters gain players. And I just think from a development point of view, it could be a massive thing for Perkins to play on someone like Chad Warner. Um, you know, potentially doesn't run both ways, Warner. So, you know, we might be able to get him the other way out. I think from a, a learning and development point of view, I think it'd be massive for for Perkins to play on him. But yeah, he would be the one I'd be putting my time into. Warner, I think you know, third game back from injury, bit bit of match fitness under his belt. I think Luke Parker's Luke Parker. He's you know he's going to win contested ball, you know, but I don't think he's as damaging as he was probably two or three years ago. Yeah, so I'd be I'd be putting my time into Warner. Yeah, I would say Warner Perkins um, would be it would be an almost perfect matchup. Yeah, I, I think this is. I thought long and hard about this one, and and my thinking's changed again since um, since selection. I, I think ordinarily you would have sat set a field on on Parker to to just restrict his access to clearances without set a field. Stringer would have been the next in line, and and he's not there either. So I, I think. I'm concerned just a little bit about the way that Perkins faded out of the game last week. Maybe the eight days will allow him to freshen up, but but I still think this week, in terms of giving us the best chance to win the game, that that forward is the role for him. I, I think it's an interesting challenge for for Hobbs or Caldwell this week, and um, 
I think we we back Parish to beat uh, Parker as a as a clearance midfielder this week. I know that's a little bit of a risk. We we sort of did that with Luba last week, but uh, Parker's you know again Touchwood not playing at the level that that Luba has been throughout this year, and and you know Parish is better than what he showed last week. And and what Parish is is not going to have is he's not going to have you know someone the size of Bontempelli and uh, and and the like to have to worry about this week also running through there. So I think uh, Parish to to Parker is my one, but I wouldn't just I wouldn't mind seeing Hobbs uh, get the opportunity to spend some time playing on on Chad Warner and and giving him a little bit of a lesson in how hard he needs to work both ways because I think it's part of his game. We know Ben Hobbs is going to crack in. He's going to put his head over the footy and, and continue to work really, really hard. Jai Caldwell's had some tagging roles last year, so he does know firsthand what's required to be a, a premier AFL mid. Warner's not that much older than than Hobbs. I think it's an opportunity for us to to really teach Ben Hobbs what it's going to take to to be a, a hard running two way running midfielder and and play on a player that's really dangerous. And I don't think it's necessarily a move that's necess- that's going to help us win the game or. or um, and in fact, it's a huge risk. But I think it could be a really good lesson for for Hobbs going forward, and and, and one that that might just allow him to to see what it takes to for him to take the next step in his development. Let me uh, throw two two more at you just to to wrap up this, the discussion on the Swans. Give me your, your Heaney and Papley matchups. They'll spend a bit of time through the midfield. Papley's averaged twenty seven percent set of bounce attendances this season. Heaney thirteen percent. Papley's their leading goal kicker with 32. Heaney is third with 21. Who gets them when they're playing forward? Uh, yeah, I'd probably go Kelly Heaney and McGrath-Papley. I think McGrath can get and help, you know, d- d- defend and beat Papley both in the air and at ground level. And I think Kelly obviously has got that bit of height and a bit more strength because Heaney obviously relies on his marking. So, yeah, f- for me, that would probably be the two matchups that I'd be looking at. Um just purely on, you know, like for like, the way I see it. Yeah, I I think you're right there. But again, it probably comes down to to where we use Cox and Hind, doesn't it? Because yeah. it, if Cox is forward and, and if he does play forward, we've got the opportunity to stretch them because they don't have a lot of height down back. And, and I'd actually, I'd be playing Cox as a, as a half forward in our second ruck this week because what that will mean is that Rampy is going to to have to play uh, as a tall and and uh, restrict his ability to intercept. He, he, you know, he he's the third man up that helps their other defenders. So, I'd like to see Cox play play forward this week. Uh, um, so, that would mean for me that that um, you know Kelly's going to need to play that third tall, which, which probably means we're going to need to get a, a little bit of a job out of you know Nick Hind defensively or or Dyson Heppel. Uh, but yeah, it, it's one that I'm not sold on either way, to be honest. But I, I think it's it's probably likely to just be structure rather than um, than individual map, matchups. But Papley's the one that I think can really break the the game open in a, in a quick space of time, and and I think McGrath's the the definite um, one to send to him. And and um, you know Heaney does get a little bit higher up the ground, so we could probably afford to um, to to run with Hind or. Um, or uh, Dyson Heppel if if um, Kelly is needed to play as a tall. Or well, potentially you could even look at Redmond on Heaney would be the other one. 
Yeah, I knew there was someone that I was forgetting. And, and now that you say that out loud, I think that that does make a lot of sense. And and what Redmond will do is give him something to think about offensively as well or, or defensively in, in Heaney's case. So, yeah, Redmond does make a lot of sense there too. So, yeah, we, we, we've definitely got some options there. But I, I think for me, I'm, I'm I'm starting with Cox playing forward as as our second tall with Wright and, and Langford as our, our third tall. And, and, and that makes sure that... You know, Rampy and, and and possibly even Blakey are having to play a little bit more accountable than they would normally like, and and then Kelly's going to have a you know a big ask to play tall on on someone like Amadi, but you know maybe that's also a job that that Redmond could do too. You know, we, we've seen him play a little bit taller, including on Jeremy Cameron at times. So, um, so yeah, I, I think McGrath locks down on Papley when he's forward, and and Heaney when Papley's in the midfield as well, and and then at other times I think it's just other guys are, are going to rotate through and, and take him when they need to. All right, well, on to to final thoughts. That the last two weeks has had a lot of fans questioning whether we should be aiming to make the finals this year, and and I appreciate that that what's happened in recent years where we've made the elimination final and and had big losses leaves us all you know with with a fair bit of fear that that's going to happen again. I'm a big believer in the value of playing finals and, and you know, the experience that comes with that is huge for player development. I think our club is better positioned with stronger leadership to handle the path forward if that does eventuate. I think in years gone by, we, we've probably jumped the gun a little bit and, and thought we were further advanced than we really were. And, and that's led to some list management decisions that, that perhaps weren't, uh, uh, you know, aligned to where our list was truly at. And, uh, you know, I, I just think we should be trying to win every game from here on in and, and see how far we can go. And, and if it does end in another disappointing elimination loss, then then we keep our faith in in the leaders of the club to be able to navigate our way through that. Uh, uh, you know, how do you see it, Andrew? Finals for you, yes or no? Yep, hundred percent. I know we're playing some big games, Anzac Day, Dream Time, but yeah, finals is a different ball game. You know, it just exposes the young players. To, you know, it just it just goes up a level, doesn't it? It's just a, it's a different time of year. Um, I just think that you, you can't buy that experience really. Um, so yeah, um, finals all for me. Um, whether it's you know in Melbourne or interstate, whatever it may be, just play it where you play it where you are, and um, yeah, just back yourself in. And I think that we've shown enough throughout the year that you know if we if we do make finals, um, not going to say we're going to go off and win the flag, but I think we can you know give it a shake and you know we can take it up to the best of them. So yeah, finals for me. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at if we finished eighth and you look at the ladder as it stands, and and we played the Bulldogs and and we were able to get the likes of Draper and Setterfield and Shield fit and and come back into the side and and Ridley's good to go by then, then we do have plenty of upside to to take them on with a, a much more suitable team and and likely a game at the MCG, which is probably going to suit us a bit more than than we do them. The, the Saints are sixth through. You know, we we ran them pretty close, and and the Giants we we beat earlier in this year, and and we get another look at um, later on. Cats are they're obviously the big danger there, and uh, and you know the the other one that's not out of the question is we could end up playing Carlton again, a team that we beat earlier this year, and I know they're going a lot better now than they were then, but um, uh, you know what what a huge moment that would be if we were able to to get into the final eight and and, and play a game against them. So. Yeah, I think there's only upside really for us in in making finals if we if we handle it well. Uh, but yeah, well, that's it for for us for tonight. Uh, Andrew, thanks again for for filling in. Uh, I want to make a quick shout out to our new Patreon members in in Gareth, Casey, and Craig. Thanks for your support and, and thank you for the rest of our Patreon community for for continuing to support us and and what we do. I want to wish Humi a, a speedy recovery and and hope for a big bomber. 
performance on Saturday night to to bring some cheer to the Hume household. Andrew, any final words from you? No, all good for me. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been fun. Um, but yeah, go Bombers, and let's hope we are competitive. Uh, display on, on Saturday night and hopefully we have a win. It would be very nice. It would be good. Let's hope so. Yeah, thanks again, Andrew. Thanks to everyone for listening. Stay safe and go Dons.